poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Duncan Palamortis and Peter Birmingham. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Philosophical Friday. Uh, this is your co-host uh, Peter Birmingham and yours truly, Duncan Paula Mortis. And today I'm so excited. Uh, first of all, Peter, how are you? How day? How's how's life? Really good, Duncan. Really good. I think I just want to start off by apologizing to the listener for missing last Friday. It was St. Patrick's Day. I'm not going to lie. I was drunk. I was gambling. We just couldn't record. It wasn't possible. It's not Duncan's fault. It's all on me. So my humble apologies for if you uh, if you had planned on your on your Friday commute to listen to listen to us yabbering on about whatever. Um, that one's on me. Thank you for taking responsibility. But I have to take my responsibility. Also, like uh, last week, I was completely out of it. So um and um it was very difficult uh, for us to uh, to record but yeah that's, that's funny stick yeah, to no. the paddy say story Duncan it's better yeah, that's right that's the, I, I like that story better but I you know I can, you know me I cannot run away from responsibility uh, and today we're we're super excited because um uh, Peter um decided to uh, agreed actually to have uh, share his story uh, about his experience with uh, with correctional facilities, and uh, we basically want to try to ask and try and answer the question: What does prison life teach us about poker? Um, and 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 Peter, would you would you care to tell us a little bit about your background, how you became a correctional facility officer? Uh, in a nutshell, because my background is quite wide and quite varied. Sure. Um, left school, didn't know what I want, didn't know what I wanted to do. Did college for a year and I've skipped through various careers. I've been in retail management, I've been in sales, mm-hmm. I worked uh building refrigeration units for trucks, I drove a taxi for five years, went back to sales, and then sort of in around the start of my 30s, um, it was in around that little life event called 2007, 2006, 2000, when the whole like the world started ending financially speaking right. um and like that i was taxiing at the time the bottom was falling out of that business like you know there was very little money to be made it was a real grind and i saw that irish prison service open rec- looking for looking for uh prison officers as we call them correction officers for our mm-hmm. american friends um mm-hmm. and i said yeah Look, why not? Do you know what I mean? I'm in my thirties, pretty have my head screwed on. You know, let's try it. Did it? Went through the process. Did the aptitude test. Then the government put a hiring embargo on a, a freeze on public sector employment for two years. So I was left on a, on the wait list for two years, and then eventually got the call up. 2010. Um, I started. And yeah, I've been working in prisons for the past 13 years. That's very interesting. So you actually had to wait for three years before two you years, were... yeah. Three, I, two years, yeah. I, I think okay. I yeah, I did the I did the initial exam in 2008. I think it was like September 2008. And I finished quite high. I think I was like number 60 out of like thousands of applicants after wow. the test. Wow. And um then by the November, the government had introduced the hiring freeze because the country was the country was practically bankrupt. Like we had the IMF in at that right. point. You right. know, there was there was no money in the country. So yeah, Absolutely. I just had to grit it out for close to two years, probably more like you know, 18 months or so. I spent another year after that, I spent about a year driving the cab, and then I hurt my back and I was out of work and I couldn't earn. And 
uh, I lost my car and it just uh, life was just terrible. And then I actually just found a sales job. Literally, I was selling again for our uh, for our American listeners um, cable TV standing in a shopping center. And I was the guy, stand, the annoying guy who stand, stands there and calls you over. But, you know, I do like to talk. So sure. sales is something <laughs> I can do. So I was able to make one. I was able to make a living at that for like nine months while I, I had moved back home and everything. Um, so, yeah, I was able to make a living for about nine months then and then joined the prison service and never looked back. Great. Financially speaking, anyway. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that that's great and, and very interesting. And and. And you also mentioned an aptitude test, and I think that would be a good starting point. What would you say are the traits uh, that uh, a government is looking for for correctional officers? Uh, or, you know, what makes somebody score really high on an aptitude test like that? What are they looking for? It's funny because the test has dramatically changed as the years mm -hmm. have gone on. And I've done some of the more, I have, you know, partaken some of the more recent ones for promotion competitions and stuff like that. Um, when I did it, it was all paper. It was mm -hmm. like this. Is, sure. It was paper. We were in a massive big hall and there was two parts to the test. So the first one was they gave you a picture. You got, I think it was five minutes to look at the picture. Mm -hmm. And then they took the picture away and you had to answer questions on the picture. Mm -hmm. So it's testing your observation skills, your memory mm -hmm. recall, your ability to write a report based mm -hmm. on what you'd seen. Mm -hmm. So. That was the first part. The second part then was testing your aptitude for following procedure mm -hmm. and how you deal with detail. So the one we had was, it was, you got a patient history of, you were basically in charge of a ward and you had four, four uh, patients to look after. They were all colored. They all had various, you know, complaints. And there was a lot of restrictions around what could be done and what couldn't be done and what you could have in a room and what you couldn't. And this was all in the files. And then they asked you questions based off this. So let's say, for example, um, Duncan was patient one and Duncan has a peanut allergy. Let's just say for mm -hmm. you know something mm -hmm. random. Sure. Yeah. And obviously that's a pretty important detail. So no other patient then can have anything to do with peanuts in the ward. That's just plain and simple. But And that's a very broad, but that's the, the, the general gist of what they're looking for. They want to make sure that, that you can, like, let's say you have a violent offender and there's a list of restrictions around dealing with this prisoner. They want to make sure that you read, you can read these restrictions, know what's happening and know what to do based off the information you're given. So that's what they're, that's what they're testing there. So that was that was it. That was the test I did back. God, it sounds like an eternity ago, 15, <laughs> 15 years ago. But yeah, that, that was the test back then. This is very interesting that you mentioned that because immediately as you're describing these situations, it feels to me that there's a lot of element of, first of all, understanding the situation, reading the situation. Of course, you're going to have some cues and you're actually going to have some cues which are both in, uh, direct and indirect. But then you have to make an assessment of the situation and essentially manage all of these different personalities and all of these different situations, right? So which is comes very close to poker, right? I mean, how to me immediately, like it, it triggers in my mind the how do you deal with like the aggressive player to your left and then the passive player to your right? And sometimes you're in a pod with 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 both of them. So do you do you see any parallelism here or am I just getting am I No, off? absolutely, absolutely. Like I mean, we'll take I think I think obviously, you know, a, a, the best example is the live pro. You know, mm -hmm. the live pro sits down at the table and there's eight other people sitting there from all walks. There could be regs, there could be wrecks, there could be you know, people with loads of money, people who have the rent money on the table. And you have to manage that table. You have to traverse all the different personalities all the different emotions, everything that's going on around you to find your edge, to see, to, to, you know, to watch for the cues, to watch for, you know, who's tilting, who's not, who's looks drunk, who isn't. And that's the very same as working in a prison. Like, I mean, I walk onto a landing and I have responsibility for up to 56 prisoners at any one time. 
-hmm. and I'm responsible in the first instance for most of their basic daily needs. So I'm the first person they come to. So I have to manage every one of them coming to me. Some guys are going to be angry. Some guys are morning people. Some guys are not. Some guys are bright in the morning. They start to get grumpy in the evening time. You know, some guys, if they ask you to do something, you can take all day to do it. No problem. They're happy to wait. Other guys, if they asked you now, in 30 seconds later, they'll be asking where it is, even though they know it takes an hour to get it and you're still standing there. You know, they're just not patient. So you're constantly managing uh, other people other people's emotions and most of all managing your own emotions because you're doing your best not to react because you can't you have to maintain that level of professionalism and it's the same at the poker table like i mean the constant professional is going to say if there's some drunk guy there and he's you know getting messy and he's getting out of hand like it's not going to be good for the game if you stand up if he's spewing money all over the place if you get up and you know start having an argument with him got to contain that emotion you got to keep that inside and you know that's that's up to the casino or card room or wherever you play to deal or the host depending on your game so yeah i i think there's this tremendous crossover with um managing personalities in that way that's actually very interesting and what would you say sort of like a chicken or the egg question what would you say came first your aptitude you know to to deal with that situation or the fact that, you know, you worked for a correctional facility for a little while and then that actually make you better? Or was it like, you know, one affected the other? How would you, yeah, would you say the order is? It's, it, it's, a, it's a combination of things. Like I came into the, like, I mean, some people join the prison service quite young. Like, I mean, they're 20. Like, I mean, I, I, I train with guys that literally came out of college, or came out of college, did three years in college, and this was their first ever job. So their sort of understanding of the wider world and the wider space would be limited. You know, I'm not saying they don't have experiences. Of course they do, but it's not the same level of experience. So I brought experiences from different different spheres. I had sales experience, which, look, you're in front of people, you're talking to them. You understand how to, I don't want to use the word manipulate because mm -hmm. I think it's, that always has negative connotations. You're you're never trying to manipulate a person, but you are kind of negotiate. Maybe you're kind of move them and usher them in a certain direction. And negotiate negotiate is probably the best way. Everything in prison is a negotiation. Everything is a negotiation. Um, whether you're dealing with a prisoner, staff, officers above you, officers below you, everything is a negotiation. Um. So I had a lot of those base, those skills coming in. Then I drove a cab for five years. So I was used to dealing with difficult people, mm. drunk people, people on drugs. I was I literally saw people at their worst, 3 a.m. on a Saturday night. All they wanted to do was get home after they were out all night doing God knows what, God knows who. So I, I for five years, I saw people at their absolute best going on holidays to the airport, all bright and sparky, the luggage, the new tracksuits on, they're looking forward to going to two weeks in the sun. And then, you know, some poor girl at, you know, 4.30 in the morning who's on the side of the road with her heels in her hand crying because her boyfriend broke up with her. You know, it's, you know, you're, you're just, you see every spectrum of human emotion when you're driving a cab. And like that, you're managing people in the same in the same way like i mean you're everything from their transport director at the time to their social worker to either their father figure if they're really young their big brother or you know just you know somebody who's on your level so i have all these skills coming in so that kind of that did give me a leg up my where i needed to develop was working in the prison environment which is a very different beast to anything anybody who's never been inside a prison would ever understand. It really is one of those things that you can watch a million shows and you can, you can talk to people. Nothing prepares you for the first time you walk onto a prison landing and there are prisoners there, and especially when they know you're a rookie. 
You're a rookie. Yeah, so th- let's they explore that. They smell the fear. <laughs> they smell the fear. They smell the fear. Like, <laughs> that kid in Jerry Maguire said, you know, bees and dogs can smell fear, but guess what? Prisoners can smell it too. I can tell you that much. They can absolutely smell the fear. And to be fair to Irish, to, to you know, guys serving time in, in Irish prisons, a lot of it's good-hearted banter. You know, it's a bit of, there's nobody, like, don't get me wrong, people will look to take advantage of you. They'll try and get, you know, extra, whatever they can out of you. But there's nobody trying to put your, there's not many, shall we say, that would actually look to do you physical harm because you're new. You know, they're not going to, you know, all of a sudden, you know, call you into a dark corner and you're going to get, you know, beaten up because you're new. That's that's not a feature of the prison system in Ireland, thankfully. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's rarely the new guy that gets hit. Rarely. It does happen. But. Sure. There's a, there are exceptions to everything, which which reminds me, you know, you mentioned uh, movies and and unfortunately for most of us, uh, you know, other than some re- reading some books or these days uh, with uh, YouTube and uh, um, the social media where people sharing their uh, uh, stories with others, we don't have much access to to what happens to correctional facilities for the very reason that they are meant to be secluded from the rest of society. So I guess one natural question would be, what do you think it, most people get wrong about prison life? You know, because you probably have seen the cliches in the movies. So if you were to make either a list or in no particular order, what are some things that people get completely wrong about prison life or maybe sort of wrong? Is there something that comes to mind? I think I, I'll just put this out there. I, I, I think this is this. Maybe nobody ever thought of this, but you definitely think about it as a prison officer. Nobody likes crime. Everybody, you know, has most people have bad opinions of criminals. You know, they, they see a certain type of person. They cross the street rather than, you know, walk by them. They instantly get nervous. Have you ever noticed in movies, TV shows, pretty much any them ever watched? Very, very rarely is the prison officer anything other than the villain. The prison officer is almost always the villain. That's a good point. Always on the take, always, you know, like... You always know, on the take, beating right, right. up prisoners, you know, <laughs> running a scam, like stand and watch while prisoners kill each other, placing bets. And like, I mean, I'm not saying this stuff doesn't go on in other countries, but like, it's certainly not my experience. Yeah. And it's like, there's bad apples in every barrel. Like, I mean, there's always, there's always people who are, are doing it wrong. But yeah, for some reason, prison officers are always the villain. And yet people don't like criminals. It, it, it kind of feeds into the whole underdog kind of tale, I suppose. But sure. I always found it, I always found it interesting. I don't think it's anything, I don't think it's something that most people ever consider. But um, but getting back to getting back to kind of your your original question what what do people get wrong um certainly with regard to i think from what i know of the american system and i've only ever been in one american jail i was in um i had the pleasure of visiting uh clark county um clark county jail when i was in vegas a few years back and that facility i would say is probably more in line with what you might see in an American, you know, movie about prison with regard to how people act and how people are moving around and stuff like that. That seems a bit more normal-ish. Prison, prison movies that are made in on this side of the water are very, very different. Very, very different. Um, there's always this, they always make it out that there's this huge divide between staff and, and inmates, you know, that mm-hmm. there's this massive gulf that they're almost, uh, uh, the, the, the tension is always ready to, to blow up. There's almost a, you know, that you could cut the tension with a knife. There could be a riot at any minute and everybody's at each other's throats. It couldn't be further from the truth. Um, yes, there are days there are tension. And yes, there are days where things get a little bit hot and heavy. By and large, we coexist, staff and prisoners, in a completely unnatural environment because that's what we have to do. Both we sides have to adapt. Mm-hmm. Like, 
we have to keep order, but we can't keep order if we can't get respect from the prisoners. Like, I mean, we're pretty, like, I mean, the rules are pretty tough for us, mm -hmm. not just for prison. The rules are very tough. We are very limited in what we can do with regard to dealing with, you know, problem offenders. Like, I mean, it's, there's no, like, I mean, I'm, I don't walk around on my landing with 56 other prisoners at times on my own with a baton or right. any sort of self-defense weapon. Right. When I joined the prison service, they gave me a whistle. And they said, if you ever get in trouble, blow it. <laughs> if, you ever, if it blows, you blow. That's oh, here, listen. Goodness. <laughs> I've spent 13 years working in prisons. So I've never heard a whistle blow once. Uh, as, my, as one of my instructors said, he said, I've been around long enough. He said, if I ever heard a whistle blown in the prison, I tell you, I'd be expecting to see retired staff coming through the ceiling because it never happens. And the day it does, that means probably somebody's getting killed yeah, because they right. can't reach. We use, uh, we use a fire alarm system, which is what you use to inform a trouble. We hit what we call the break glass. It's just a standard fire alarm system that anybody would have. It's actually really annoying when you're in shopping centres and a fire alarm goes off because I'm automatically expecting staff to run by me heading for trouble. Because it's just a noise. I've been conditioned after 13 years okay. to react to fire alarms to run into the middle of it because there's probably somebody being hurt. Weird. No, 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 no not weird at all. I mean, it, it makes sense. And it, you made a, a comment, essentially, that uh, uh, it's sort of like a dual relationship in some sense because um, you mentioned that uh, you cannot control the prisoners if they don't respect you. And in some sense, that's a form of equilibrium. Like you need to reach an equilibrium. The prisoners want the equilibrium. You want the equilibrium because if you guys don't, again, I'm, I'm speaking from an outsider's perspective, but from a human perspective, if you will, like whenever you are in an environment, you want to reach a certain equilibrium because if you don't, there is tension and uneasiness and uneasiness is usually bad for all parties. And I guess it comes back to what you said earlier. Nobody likes crime, right? I mean, not even the the prisoners. It's not like you know they're celebrating this. It's uh, it sounds like it's one of those things. I mean, for whatever reason, they um they had this last resort of the crime. They ended up there for the majority of them. Of course, there's exceptions. And then they're trying to reach that equilibrium, right? I mean, where, wherever you may be, and and I think that's that's true in the poker table too. It doesn't matter if you have like the super maniac or the super passive players at your table everybody's trying to get to that peaceful place where things are you know stabilized so i can i can i can totally i can totally see that uh, what you what you're describing uh i think that's a really good a really good way of putting the duncan i'd never actually thought of it and put and and part of it in terms of that equilibrium but when you said that i can just think of i can actually think of the first time i i ever started reading about you know equilibrium and, and game to and the the idea of the the two people using the broadband and if they both work at this particular pitch or whatever you know they both get x amount and if one goes the other way one gets good and one gets bad and then if they both go the other way everybody gets shit service and that's exactly it's exactly the way a prison works it that's really great. is it's a, it's a very finely tuned balancing act Finally tuned balancing act. This is this is an excellent, excellent way of, of of putting it. And it's very, very descriptive. And and I guess, you know, that naturally goes back to one of the things that is heavily discussed about prisons, and that I would say is probably a politics and, and prison groups. And and I have to ask you, first of all, are they real? Is there any truth to that? And if they are, how are they formed? How important is it to belong to one? So the Irish system is probably a little bit different to the American system, but they all work off a similar basis. So in America, you've got prison gangs and you've got the shot callers. They're the main, they're the top guys in each gang. That's fine. That's we have the same thing here, but we don't have gangs that would be now we do have gangs that would be adversarial if we ever put them together. Mm. And that's the thing. We completely separate. Like if, 
if the Palomortises were feuding with the Birminghams, the Palomortises would be an A wing and the Birminghams would be an B wing and never the twain shall meet. And that's just the reality. We just don't put them together because it's not safe. It's not safe for them. And more importantly, like, I mean, look, they're making a choice. They're in a feud. That's their business. But you're putting staff at risk. And that's, like, I mean, while I'm all for keeping prisoners safe, and that is important, first and foremost, you know, the staff have to be kept safe because at the end of the day, we're there doing a job. You know, you know, through whatever means a prisoner has made a choice at some point in their life that has landed them there. So they have to take responsibility for that part of it. But yeah, staff safety comes first. So we would never put warring factions in a situation where, you know, there will be there will be an outbreak. So you table change. Gangs are more yeah. What? You you table change. If it's yeah. if it's like yeah. the situation is unfavorable, you table change or you or you game select. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Like I mean, if 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 G man if G man is sitting to your left, you know that's 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 not a spot you want to be in. You know you you want to get out of there. So you know you you look to go and you know sit beside sit beside somebody else. You know, um, but yeah. So like so from that perspective, like you could have in one wing, say. 120 prisoners maybe in a big in a big wing maybe more like could be dependent um there could be up to 200 and uh, one thing one thing i think i should just clarify for listeners um the population uh when i was there of clark county jail which mm -hmm. obviously is in las vegas and mm -hmm. it's the county jail it's not even the prison it's only while people are waiting to go on trial the population of that is three and a half thousand prisoners mm -hmm. Um, in the entire Irish prison system across 12 or 13, I can never remember the number, um, 12 or 13 facilities, we have approximately three and a half to 4,000 prisoners. So just to put sort of numbers in a little bit of perspective for uh, the, the, the listener who may not be, you know, familiar with, with our kind of, uh, with our numbers. Yeah, that, they're the kind of numbers we're talking. So... We could have 200 prisoners on one wing and there could be two or three gangs on that wing, but they all do business with each other. They all know each other. They're all sort of, you know, even if they're not particularly friendly, there's a, there's a healthy respect there. You know, like, I mean, you operate in one part of the country. I operate in another, you know, you have your landing in this jail. We have our landing, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to worry about what the other one is doing as long as we're not interfering with each other. Right. We'll have a problem. But if you're st you stick to your side, I'll stick to mine, and we, we won't have an issue. Um, so like that then, similar to uh, America, we have the main men, the shot callers, um, the top dog, as it's you know more co uh, colloquially known over this side. And yeah. There's one on every single landing. There's one on every single small landing. And then there's usually somebody who's the biggest in the whole jail that would kind of probably have a, they probably have a finger in every single pie. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, every single landing has somebody who's running the show, who's calling the shots. And for various reasons, sometimes it's because they're a boss on the outside, you mm -hmm. know? They ran, you know, some form of large drug operation. They're a trusted lieutenant in a prominent drug cartel. So automatically they come in and everyone looks to them. And it's most of the time it's not even discussed. There's very rarely a power struggle, only sometimes. Most of the time this person comes in and everybody just nods their head and, okay, you're in charge now. We didn't know that. We we know the way of the world. And it's like this, it's like this unspoken, it's like this unspoken thing that just everybody knows that they know the order of things. They understand their politics. The same way if you know we were we were sitting in, I don't know, what's what's I, I'm not even sure what a good real world example is because I'm not sure I would ever be in charge of somewhere and just, you know, without anybody saying it, maybe you know when somebody walks walks in. Right. Well, maybe, like maybe a, a senior officer with, you know, that 
I know they're a chief, but I don't know them. But automatically, I know they're above me, so they're in charge now. But that's... Right. Maybe maybe you are like, let's say, at a dinner with like, let's say, the president of the United States, so happen or something like that, or like or the president or the, the, the prime minister of, you know, a certain country. I mean, it, it's understand, understood there that they, they, they have a certain, there's a certain hierarchy, at least um, from a, a specific point of view, right? I mean, they don't necessarily have the hierarchy on everything, but like for, for that specific uh, that specific thing. And I suppose actually a, a good example might be, don't, I, I suppose, um, like I'm not 100% sure, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure there are times when you have the president and a governor mm -hmm. in the one place. Right. And, you know, there's deference there. Like, I mean, one is in charge, and but the other is bigger, but he's not always around. But when he comes in, all of a sudden, the deference goes to you know, the present. That may not be 100% the etiquette of it, but I think people will get the idea of what I mean. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm not an expert either, right? But I mean, but it sounds yeah. right. You know, what you're describing there definitely, definitely sounds about right. Um, I guess that actually segues nicely into the idea of, again, we have the the short caller or the top dog that, that, that you described, and we have a certain amount of, uh, like you said, um, unspoken truths, or I guess... Uh, uh, widely like well-known secrets, if you will, we, we can call them. Uh, so that definitely creates some some interesting dynamics. So one question would be, um, let's talk a little bit about um, the question of having a toxic environment or not in 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 the correctional facility and whether there's truth to that. And actually, specifically, I want to ask a question from Dennis Peterson. Shout out to Dennis Peterson and the wonderful questions every week. And he, he asked something similar. He says, like, my assumption is that working in this type of environment would have a huge majority uh, of the people you deal with on both sides of the fence would have negative, if not toxic mindsets. So one thing would be, you know, is that true? Another thing is that how did you deal with this on a daily basis? And were you able to maintain a positive outlook while working in an environment like this? I work in what I consider to be a toxic work environment. So any tips would be greatly appreciated. So, um, yes, is the answer to basically all of it. Okay. Um, so I suppose starting at the start, um, yes, prison can be a very toxic environment. Um, it is mentally challenging for both sides. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, we'll take the recent unpleasantness that was COVID. Mm -hmm. This was extremely difficult for prisoners in particular because Physical visits were restricted for a period of two years. So you had a guy or a female, like a I man, females go to prison too, um, goes to jail, had a newborn when they went into jail. They never saw that child in person until the child was two. Like that's that's a pretty, that's just plain harsh. <clears throat> That's not an actual example, but I can guarantee it happened. Mm -hmm. I don't know if yeah, this yeah, happened, yeah, yeah, no. but I can tell you 50 similar stories. But that's mm -hmm. just a, so the listener can get some idea of, of, you know, what kind of mental state a person might be in, um, not being able to physically hold their child who was a newborn when they mm -hmm. went into it for two years. Yeah, like, I mean, look, we can, you could sit and debate the rights and wrongs of that, well, look, they did the crime due to time but at the end of the day we're humans and we have humanity right. and you know um i think it was again another movie quote i think it was uh john cusick in con air that said um quoted and the philosophers he was russian name escapes me but that you can judge a society by how it treats its prisoners mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's I think that's a really, really good quote because I definitely think you can. Um, like, we definitely in this country treat our prisoners with humanity. We try to have empathy. It's not always easy, um, but we try. But we definitely, human rights are a massive, massive part. At the end of the day, the, the removal of liberty 
is the punishment. The punishment is not everything that happens while you're in prison. No, it's not the removal of, of your liberty is the punishment. And that's that's go that's worth like I mean that is that is technically the standard that should be held. But like you are removing a person's liberty from society. Nowhere in anyone's well, let's <laughs> there's always exceptions, but most countries in the civilized world do not have a statute book that says, well, this prisoner is going to be uh, sent to prison for five years and we're going to make sure that at least once every six months he gets beaten or beat up by the prisoners of the staff. Like, I mean, nowhere does it say that. It, it just doesn't. So let me flesh out. It's this. About to yeah, it's just, it's depriving of their liberty. That is the punishment. So when that is, especially during COVID, when we had this extra layer of freedom taken away that really really hit home for a lot of prisoners i think that's i i would imagine that COVID probably did more for rehabilitation than any prison system ever did before because the thought it's one thing being locked up and being able to see your family once a week or twice a week in some cases um it's another thing to not see your children in person for two for two plus years because you're locked away. That's a very, very different form of punishment. This is an incredible point you're making, and I'm hoping I can do my best to flesh it out for the listener, because you're making a very huge distinction between a certain form of punishment and a value. And the value in that specific case is the human rights. So a, a country can do everything it in its power to maintain those human rights. And those human rights are so important even when people stray away from society norms. And that's that's really essentially a um, value ordering. You know, we value, you know, human rights more than anything else, hopefully in, 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 in the, 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 the West part of the world. At least we strive for, sometimes we fail, but for the most part, human rights are so important. And I think that distinction is very, very, very important. And, and also you brought another point too, uh, you you brought you brought up COVID, where again the human rights uh, in the name of and I'm not going to make any political comment in in either direction, but there was a very important tension in society because now the human rights in the name of uh, personal safety and uh, they started to be challenged. So basically, there was this clash between human safety and human rights. So the, the governments had to make tough decisions to sacrifice on one or the other because they were clashing. And now you ba what you're basically describing is, you know, the prisoners suffering as a result of that because on top of their punishment, now they had to worry about, you know, uh, potentially some of their human rights being taken away from them in, again, in the name of, you know, um, safety, essentially, like in, in the name of uh, health safety. Like I had periods where the landing I the landing I was working on during COVID, if there was an outbreak on the landing, I could have 56 prisoners locked behind the door, not getting out of a cell, probably no bigger than most people's bathrooms, with two people in it. Now, to be fair, the, the cells do have uh in-cell sanitation, they have their own shower, they have their own toilet, they have a TV, they have a kettle for American listeners who probably wouldn't be familiar with that particular setup. There is some level of comfort. Now, not much. You're sharing right. you're sharing a bathroom with another male. You know, that's not pleasant. Um, and they wouldn't have got outside that out, outside that cell for one week. Wow. Due to health and safety, we had to we had to literally almost pause um some uh parts of you know, legal statutes which require prisoners to get, you know, meaningful time out of cell, meaningful um, exercise, one hour guaranteed exercise. It couldn't be done because we had a public health emergency. And that is like, I, I literally had prisoners almost crying at the cell door when I'm getting out of here. Like, and these, these are guys that do, they do time. They do four years standing on their head and not even think about it. But one week locked in one small cell 
with, with no contact. Well, not saying no contact, we did. We were able to facilitate getting uh, phones into the cell there. Uh, we were like, it was crazy. We were running phone lines um, in extension cables, running them into cells. I had a list because I only had so many connections on the landing and I had a list of who was next to get the phone. I'd one at one end and one at the other because the landing was too long for, you know, I had to, it was nuts. It wow. was crazy. Wow. And that was like a prisoner's a prisoners actually said to me, oh, this must be great for you as we're all locked up all day. That was the worst time in my whole 13 years in the prison service. The worst time I ever had was because when people are locked up and cannot do in behind the door, they cannot literally do anything for themselves. So yeah. everything was on us. Everything. They couldn't ask for anything. They couldn't talk to anyone. They couldn't do anything without calling us. I was on my feet all day. I was exhausted when I came home. Absolutely. Yeah, you're far from the equilibrium. That affects as much you oh, as yeah. they affect them. Like, you know, we want you want that, you know, like peacefulness that peacefulness again is good for both parties and then when one of the parties is highly unrest then the other party is affected too like you yeah. want them to be happy for you to be happy right i mean this is i don't know like society 101 like in order for an environment to be happy you want all the members to be happy you can't be just the only one who enjoys all all the benefits but that I brings suppose, like oh sorry John. i was just going to say like i am um... Like from my own, I, I can't speak for other people. And of course I can only speak from my own experience, but like, I, I, like anyone who knows me, I'm not shy and talk about it. I've, I've, I actually, I've suffered with my mental health probably most of my life and didn't realize it until, until about nine years ago or so when I actually went and, you know, started doing some therapy and, you know, started getting to the bottom of some shit. But COVID, and that environment were very, very hard on me. They were particularly hard on me. I was going from being, now, the only thing was like people, some people said, oh, well, it's great. You get to get out of your house. You got to go and meet other people. Yeah, I got to go and meet other people and I got to wear masks, gloves, aprons, look at people sweating and crying in cells all day. That was it was incredibly tough. I suffered, my health, my mental health suffered drastically um, during COVID. It really did. The first part, not, not ashamed to say it, the first part of it was heavily medicated with alcohol. You know, like days off where it was the summer, the sun was shining, sit out the back and a drink. Now, I didn't have a problem, but I was definitely, I was definitely uh, using it to, to sort of paper over the, the cracks that were starting to appear. Um, and then we realized that this wasn't going away anytime soon. And I realized that, okay, alcohol is not the answer here. We need, we need a better solution. So I had to dig a bit deeper um, within myself to, to find a path, a path through. But yeah, it was incredibly tough. And like, I mean, truth be told, the scars, the, the scars of that haven't healed. From me personally, it's my life has taken a very different direction um, in the last six or eight months. My perspective on a lot of things has changed. Um, so, so, yeah, uh, you know, working in a prison, I wouldn't say it's not for me, but from a mental health perspective, yeah. Very difficult. I don't think if you come back to me and if you come back to me this time next year, Duncan, I don't think uh, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be think we'd be describing me as a former prison officer. It's not likely um, because just the toll it took life, life is too short to be spending 12 hours a day um, seven days out of 14, because that was my roster. I used to work like it was two on, two off, three on, two off across a two week period, but you're spending half of your, half of your, half a month, you know, two weeks out of a month, half a year, uh, locked behind walls with barbed wire, you know, steel bars, a toxic environment, people who are drinking, taking drugs, trying to medicate their own mental health, 
And then we had the prisoners who were also doing so because I'm actually talking about the staff. Like this, you know, there's so many people that have mental health struggles, but you know, prison service. It's not, it's not the place where you come into work and you talk to the guy next to you, you tell him, well, you know, I'm not feeling great about myself today. Right. That's that's not right. that environment. Right. You you that's can't you can't, you can't show weakness. And this actually no. again again we can draw a parallel a parallel to poker that you know you're gonna have to hide some of your weaknesses. But um, I I just want to follow up on, on what you said because this is obviously incredible stuff. And and thank you for sharing. By the way, this is this is amazing stuff. I'm sure for the listeners, a lot of people can relate, especially you know like the difficulty during during the COVID and. Um, in your own subjective experiences, what are some things that that that, that you tried uh, to to alleviate the issue? To uh, you said earlier, you know, you know, I mean, there's only so much we we can drink. You know, at some yeah, point we need to find a, yeah, a more absolutely. permanent solution. So, what would be like another an, an, another another step you you took or like some direction you you tried to go to 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 to, to help with? Um. So, also part in you know, part of my, you know, many, many careers. Um, I have um, done two years of training in counseling and psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, this was actually born out of my own, you know, it was, it was born out of my own um, situation. I, I, I developed a, a love for the topic and I went and I did some study. Um, so I did have coping. I did have, some skills i had gotten used to journaling meditating these kind of things they're not exact they're i wouldn't say they're second nature but they were automatically in my arsenal these were things i could automatically turn to i didn't need to be to be steered onto them then i had to exercise you know like i mean it's it's almost a cliche at this stage but mm. The things that people tell you to do for your mental health really are just the things that work. Journaling, meditating, exercise, eating right, getting out in the fresh air. I cannot stress enough how much fresh air and being outside, especially on a nice day. Like, I mean, I'm looking out, I'm looking out here now and it's, you know, we're in, we're in Port Leash. It's, you know, sort of lunchtime and it's a little bit cloudy, but it's bright. It is bright. Prison is dark. Prisons are dark places. Even when the lights are on, prisons are just dark. Very little light gets in because, you know, windows and stuff, like, I mean, it's, that's all security issues. So, you know, being outside, being able to feel the sun on your skin, these are all amazing remedies for mental health. These are, these are all things people should have in their toolkit. And these are, these are some of the things I did. One of the biggest things that I did, um, which helped me more than I will ever be able to uh, say to him personally, was finding the Greatness Village, finding Mr. Wilson, who took me under his wing, you know, just a, you know, a struggling, a struggling uh, 25 NL, you know, player who was just messing about and stumbled into a, a study session one evening. And like, here we are, I think two and a half years later. And, you know, I kicked him off his own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and crashing it at the table. That's yeah. exactly right. But yeah, exactly. I just, I like, I moved away from, you know, you know, alcohol and, you know, things like that. And no, don't get me wrong. I still like a drink. But very, very different approach with these days. Um, but yeah, just all my free time. And especially because uh, my partner, she works like sort of more Monday to Friday. I have a lot of days off during the week. So you're by yourself. You know, she's at work. I'm at home. You know, especially during COVID when you couldn't go anywhere. So what am I going to do? I'm going to sit at home. I'm going to study. I'm going to play cards. And it's, it just, it builds. And yeah. And now... I've got this incredible network of people from all corners of 
the states let's be honest it's not worldwide it's america i've got friends in all all parts of america um and yeah i'm playing i'm playing poker at a decently high level online i'm co-hosting a podcast once you know this is you know life life has many twists and turns but when when opportunity when the doors open you know you just all you have to do is step through and that's that's what happened with me i literally opened an email one evening i was sitting down literally opened an email and there was a link oh join for you know hand review session this was this is like midnight on a wednesday <laughs> and it was poker power hour that brad used to host and it was free to everybody anybody could come in and join in i literally clicked the link i landed in a zoom room and brad was like ah oh, peter thanks this is your first time have you any hands you know, and I, I showed a hand that I had played that I found trouble. And, you know, and the first thing he got on to me was, you know, well, you should have far better pre-flop. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, we just answer. went there. I, I, I flattened queens on the button to a small blind three bet. Uh, yeah. And still we joke about it to this day. Like, sure. I mean, if I show him my hand history and, you know, I say, well, this guy flattened on the button there. He actually ended up having queens. But then I was like, yeah, well, we know that's wrong. But yeah, the, the the rest is just the the rest of that story is just just almost history at that point. But yeah, and it did. Like I mean, the the sense of community, the sense of belonging to something, and being an intricate part of it that that helps. So, like I mean, as far as advice from that perspective, you know, be just be a part of something. Whatever interests with you it doesn't have to be poker. Does it? Even if it's even if it's only your family, you know, just just be be present and be a part of something, and you know, feel your inclusion in that because that's something that that's the most important thing. Because anyone that suffers with mental health, it's the isolation that gets you. It's that feeling of being isolated from the rest of the world, even in the busiest environment, which you feel completely isolated. And that's the worst feeling in the world for absolutely anybody. Well, that's, you know, subjectively speaking. No, but, this, is, a, this yeah. is an excellent advice. And you also spoken about specific tangible things that people can do, like the simple things work, you know, the exercise, uh, the meditate, the meditation, the, the eating will, the fresh air, right? I mean, the, the, the things that people usually suggest, they, they tend to work. That's why people suggest it. Yes. No, this like, is I mean, there's, 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 there's this billion dollar industry out there, billions poured into solutions. They're all there. Every single one of them is free. Every single one of them is free. The only thing that's not free is like therapy. But like, you know, maybe you just need to talk to somebody. Maybe you don't actually need therapy. Maybe you just need to be to talk to somebody. But if you do, you're like, I mean, hey, there's always free services out there. There's always support groups. There's always a place to go. I do not think that anybody, I don't think finance is ever a block to mm -hmm. improving your mental health. I think there's always, you could always find a path because most of the things are, most of the solutions are free, you know? This is a beautiful message. I think it's uh, it's incredible for people to to consider and you know and also just to to add to to your message um it's it's a good idea generally speaking to try and avoid looking for excuses. I'm not talking specifically about mental health but in general, you know, looking for excuses can never help us forward. If we're dealing with an issue, it's best to try and find a way to 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 work with this. And uh, Excuses like there's not enough time, it's too expensive, or it is, uh, you know, I don't have enough support. Although these things are probably are probably true and get in the way, there's probably another way. And, and you're an example of that. You're a living example of that uh, with, with your story, which is excellent that you're sharing. Yeah, like, I mean, thank, thank you, Duncan. Um, like, I think everyone struggles with time. I struggle right. with time. You struggle with time. We all have time constraints. Time is time is the luxury, is the one luxury that none of us ever have enough of. There's never enough time to do anything. But there's always time for the most important things. And like I've had I've had friends who have said, literally, I haven't got time to look after myself. And I've always put it back on them. These are people with families. I'm like, right. you do all this for your family every single day. You literally keep this house together. One day, if you don't look after yourself, you're going to break. 
what happens then? Everybody suffers. So you can either find a half an hour in your day now to keep yourself sane, or you can find possibly weeks sometime in the future where you're just not going to be good to anybody because you're going to completely collapse and we're all going to have to rally and help you build back up. Yeah, that's what we'll do because, you know, you're like, they're like family, but there's always a way to avoid it. Prevention is better than cure. Again, <laughs> it's not, it's a cliche, but it's only a cliche. It's true. It's, it's so true. And I wish more people would just be proactive about their own mental health, especially. Like, I mean, it's such, especially in this day and age where, you know, like that, like, I mean, us here, we're interacting. We, we, you know, we have a connection. But at the end of the day, we're, we're thousands of miles away. And it's, that's not a substitute for human contact either. Do you know what I mean? You can't live your life in a Zoom room, you know? And some people do because they're like, they, they're, they might be single. They might not have many family. They work at home. Like, I mean, they're, they're isolated in a lot of ways. And maybe they don't even realize it. But you know, just just get out in the world. Go out, see people, meet people, try and try and make connections. You don't need a lot of connections. Like, I mean, I have, yes, do I have a network online of people, online crushers that I can call on? Absolutely, I do. How many people in this world do I call, like, my best friend? How many people are in my, like, circle? I can count them on one hand. There ain't many. There really isn't. Your circle doesn't have to be big. It really doesn't, you know? Like, That's right. You go on to, you could log on to my Facebook now, and I've got less than 100 people, and I am absolutely very proud of it because I know and speak to almost every single person on that list. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's sometimes quality is more important than quantity. You're absolutely right, and you have more time to devote to each and every one of them. Yes. And this is this is another way of 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 dealing with this. And and this is this is wonderful. And I think I think this is a wonderful message. I mean honestly like I, I had some more questions, but this is such a beautiful message. The idea of create, you know, like a, a network, take care of yourself first and foremost, right? Because if you cannot take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to take care of of anybody else. Uh, try to make sure to have an actual human connection on top of another online network because i mean the online network can be helpful in in itself and absolutely it, it it has its it has its part like i mean it's i would never knock an online network trust me some of the people i can call on i would never knock it but at the end of the day we need we do need more as as a species as humans we need more we have we have other needs Absolutely. And then the, the benefit of living in, you know, 2023 is that we can have both, you know, we can have both Absolutely. the, right, the, the, the internet network and the, and the real life network. S- speaking of which, you know, if people want to, to find, you know, like this good network that helped you so much and, and helped a lot of other people, and I'm part of this network as well, and has helped me also very much, where, 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 where can they find us? Well, they you find can... them. First, firstly, you can find me on Twitter mm-hmm. at Peter Birmingham. Um, I think I'm. I think I'm the only one out there with you know the dodgy four at the end, as we've said so many times. You know, hit me up there, or you can see me in uh, Greatness Village, chasingpoker.com, uh, chasing great, chasing poker forward slash Greatness Village. Um, that's where I spend. I'm not going to say far too much of my time, but quite a lot of my time. Listen, I'm there. If you ever have any questions, anybody who ever has a question or, you know, just wants to reach out and like, just, you know, needs to talk ever. Like I'm there, reach out. You know, if I can, if I, if I can be an open ear for somebody at some point and help them that way, that would be, you know, my pleasure. So because I'm always I'm always available to, to to people in that respect. I can attest to that. Peter is always available, and if you guys wanna head out over there, there's several threads, including a thread for for this show. So if you guys have questions, the community is incredible. It's very responsive, um, and we try to to check this periodically ourselves. So feel free to go there. 
uh, you know, send us uh, a, a message and uh, be part of the the community. And uh, and thank, incidentally, thank you everybody for for tuning in, listening to this podcast. Thank you for all the kind words. We receive a lot of love over in the social media and over at the village. We appreciate all of that. We appreciate all of your questions. Shout out to people who ask questions and you know. St- stay in, in in contact like let's keep this community vibrant and alive and uh, and peter thank you very very much what an incredible story like you know it's it was was amazing once we we outdo ourselves then a story like that comes alone and then we outdo ourselves again like i feel it's like the the, the sky is the ceiling that was incredible like i i had no idea where this was gonna go but it was like exceeded all of my expectations so thank you so very much for sharing and everything uh, no, no problem, Duncan. Thank you for thank you for you know sort of making the suggestion. I think it was it, it was an episode that yeah it was just just seemed there to be done. So yeah, I'm listen. I'm always I'm always thankful to you know have the opportunity to sort of voice voice my story. I like talking about me. I, I like me. My favorite <laughs> subject. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I like you like talking about you. Like I learned a lot of things today, and I'm really grateful for that. So thank you, listener, uh, for, again, staying tuned with us. And we will see you all next Friday. Take care, everybody. Take care, folks. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community. Book a coaching session or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.